Well, it is a joy to be with you. And if you would open your Bibles to Philippians and see the... I'm just kidding. Um, I'm going to preach with my hands in my pockets today. Um, thank you, Erica. Um, no, but truly, it really is a privilege to be here. I'm, I'm uh, particularly grateful this morning because uh, you were able to wake up. Uh, I'm grateful that you were able to be here. You know, staying awake is a different story, but I'm glad you're here anyway. Uh, I'm also just grateful that uh, I can be here because uh, I was up in San Jose just a little bit ago, and uh, up in San Jose, I went to a wedding, and it was a great wedding, a beautiful wedding. I was, I was privileged to be a part of it, and uh, the thing about that wedding was that w- when, I, when I was there, it reminded me um, of my own wedding. Yeah, n- yeah, okay. Um, reminded me of my own wedding, and my own wedding happened just uh, a year and a half ago. And something that happened at this wedding that I was at in San Jose happened also at my wedding. And it was actually something pretty crazy. Somebody vanished at my wedding, and somebody vanished at this wedding. It honestly seemed like it happened so fast. In a, in a split second, someone disappeared, and I never saw them again. Her name was Erica Tien. You see, some of you have never met Erica Tien. Because Erica Tien got married on November 14th of 2021, and the Bible says that when a woman becomes a wife and when a man becomes a husband, the two become one. Listen to Ephesians 5. This is not a sermon on marriage, by the way. But God uses marriage to, to illustrate and to picture something far, far greater than marriage. Ephesians 5, 31 through 32, it says this. Therefore, a man shall leave his father and mother and hold fast to his wife, and the two shall become one flesh. This mystery is profound, and I am saying that it refers to Christ and the church. Marriage is God's illustration of a doctrine so important that Sinclair Ferguson calls it the heart of evangelical theology. John Murray, who is like a Sinclair Ferguson but older, calls it the central truth of the whole doctrine of salvation. And to show you its relevance to our theme at this retreat, Wayne Grudem says that this doctrine is how Christians receive every benefit of the gospel. Marriage is God's illustration of the doctrine of union with Christ. Union with Christ. It's a, it's a, it's a bond with Jesus that the believer has that is so intimate, so connected, that the Bible uses marriage as an illustration. You see, when Erica and I got married, all that was hers became mine, and all that was mine became hers. Her car became my car, and my car became her car. Her pots and pans and silverware became mine, and my one single fork and plate became hers. 
Yeah, it's not an equal exchange. But her family became my family, and my family became hers because we were no longer two, but one. And Ephesians 5 says that that kind of union is an illustration of the believer and Jesus Christ. And so if you are a Christian here today, you share that kind of union with Jesus. A union such that his righteousness becomes your righteousness. A union such that his inheritance becomes your inheritance. And a union such that his resurrection becomes your resurrection. Well, as our retreat comes to an end this morning, and as we wrap up our theme of of forget not all his benefits, I want to show you that the, the benefits which we are called to remember flow from this doctrine of union with Jesus. I want to show you that your union with Christ is the reality that enables you to enjoy and participate in all the benefits of the gospel. Listen again to Ephesians, but uh, listen to Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. This is where you were with David just yesterday. Ephesians 1 verse 3 says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places. That is a massive, sweeping statement. That every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places comes from that central reality that you are in Christ. That that prepositional phrase, in Christ, it appears 200 times in the New Testament referring to the believer's union with Jesus. And, and, and I think it's, it happens so often in the New Testament that we can read our Bible and just skip over that in Jesus, in Christ, in him, because we see it so much. But it's all over the place because the writers are trying to show the connection between the benefits of Jesus and the person of Jesus. There are no benefits in the gospel apart from the person of Jesus. If you can imagine a, a bicycle wheel, uh, imagine that union with Christ is in the center of that wheel, and coming out from the center are all these spokes going to the tire. And, 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 it's, and it's that picture of, of the union with Christ at the center and, and all these benefits coming out from that central doctrine that I want to show you this morning. You see, to remember the benefits of God is really a call to remember one person because it's in that one person where we find every spiritual blessing. This morning, uh, I have a seven-point sermon for you guys. Now, I recognize the danger of doing that on the third morning of a, of a retreat where you got four hours of sleep total. Um, but don't worry, we're going to we're going to move pretty quickly through these points, but, but I just want to give you a, a sort of broad overview of how your Christian life and, and all of its major benefits are, are necessarily and, and inherently connected to the person of Jesus. These seven points that we're going to talk about are, are seven benefits for us to remember as a Christian, but really, they are seven spokes that, that, that lead back to that central truth, uh, to the greatest and, and most valuable treasure of all, which is Jesus himself. You see, the, the call to remember benefits really has to culminate 
in the call of 2 Timothy 2.8, which is to remember Jesus Christ. And so although we are going to see seven benefits of the gospel this morning, I actually want to frame our time a little bit differently. This morning, I want to show you seven strategies to remember Jesus Christ. It's a little pump fake for you note takers who wrote the other. Seven strategies to remember Jesus Christ. Because as you remember each of these seven benefits, I don't want you to stop at what's in it for you. As you remember all these good things about the gospel, don't stop at what you get out of the gospel. Take it one step further and remember that every spiritual blessing is given in Christ and therefore every spiritual benefit is to the praise of his glorious grace. The gospel is first and foremost about the glory of God. And so as we remember these seven benefits of the gospel, let's really see them as seven ways for you to remember the risen Son of God, Jesus Christ. To give you a bit of a roadmap, um, I've grouped these seven benefits and, and strategies into three sort of broader categories for you to think about. The first three are going to have to do with your identity. The next two have to do with your activity. And then the last two have to do with your eternity. Your identity, your activity, and your eternity. And in these three categories, we are going to see seven strategies to remember one person, Jesus Christ. Strategy number one, remember your justification. Remember your justification. Take your Bibles and open them to Galatians chapter 2. Galatians chapter 2. Justification is uh, one of the most fundamental benefits of the Christian faith. Uh, it's one of the most fundamental benefits that the, the Christian enjoys in his identity. And justification refers to the act of God declaring someone righteous. Justification, if I can say it this way, is courtroom language. Justification is legal language. It is the giving of a verdict, and God is the judge. And so when scripture says that a, a sinner is justified, the picture is God slamming down the gavel and saying, not guilty. God renders the verdict and says to the Christian that although you are a sinner, I declare you righteous. How, how is that possible? Well, look at Galatians 2.15. Galatians 2.15, this is Paul speaking, and he says, We ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. You see, if we were judged by our works, Paul says none of us would be justified. And no one could ever be declared righteous based on the life that they lived. And no one could get a not guilty verdict from God because our, our works are so obviously rebellious to God. But the good news is that the verdict is not based on your works. Uh, the verdict is based on your faith, and if your faith is in Jesus, 
the one who actually lived a perfect life, the one who actually accomplished a not guilty verdict, then through that faith in that person, Jesus, his life is seen as your life. His righteousness is given to you and you are declared innocent, not guilty, righteous, based on his life. You see, when Jesus died for his when Jesus died, he died not for his sins, but for our sins. And, and the guilty verdict was placed on Jesus, even though he was innocent, and the innocent verdict was placed on us, even though we were guilty. That's what justification is, and it is only possible because, like the union of a marriage, what was his became ours, and what was ours became his. So when we remember the sweet and fundamental benefit of justification, of hearing that not guilty verdict to our name, remember that it is only possible because his perfect life became yours and the death that you deserved became his. John Calvin says your union with Christ is, one of, is of the highest degree of importance if you are to understand your justification. And so when you rejoice in and think about your justification, go one step further and worship Jesus for bearing your sin, for, for atoning for your guilt, for taking it on himself so that you could be free. Strategy number two, remember your reconciliation. Remember your reconciliation. Turn Uh, A few pages back in your Bible to Romans chapter 5. Romans chapter 5. The word reconciliation refers to restoration of a relationship. It it refers to the mending of a a broken connection. And for the Christian, this is, is such a sweet benefit of the gospel because it's the direct result of what we just talked about in justification, but it makes the gospel so, so personal. You see, if justification is courtroom language, well then reconciliation is friendship language. The benefits of the gospel go far beyond a a not guilty legal verdict. It's not just a a cold and detached decision for God to, to declare you righteous. It is the beginning of a peaceful relationship with God. Look at Romans 5, verse 1. Therefore, since or because we have been justified by faith, that's the, that's the benefit we just talked about. So, so Paul is saying here, uh, the reality of justification, because of that reality, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. Joy for the Christian doesn't stop with being acquitted in the courtroom. It blossoms into this peaceful relationship with a perfectly holy God and that is a miracle because up until this point in Romans the majority of Paul's message is that man can't have peace with God up until this point in Romans Romans 1 through 3 is all about the lack of peace with God and man and yet a relationship of peace is available to us as Romans 5.1 says, through Jesus Christ. Again, it's in this union with Christ that what is his becomes yours. And so 
his perfect and his peaceful relationship with a holy God becomes yours. For the Christian, God is not just the judge who declares you innocent in Christ. God is also a friend who shares a relationship with you also in Christ. And though it it seems impossible for this to get any better, our third point takes it up to another level. Strategy number three, remember your adoption. Third strategy to remember Jesus is to remember your adoption. I I know David did such a great job with this doctrine yesterday, so I don't want to spend too much time here, but I just had to include this one. I had to talk about adoption because if justification was legal language and reconciliation is friendship language, well then adoption is family language. If you're a Christian, you are not just declared righteous by God, though that is a miracle. You are not just a friend of God, though that is a miracle. You are a son or a daughter of the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Let that hit you. Let let that well up in your heart a desire to worship your father. Now, I remember being a kid, and I can remember some specific moments when I was with my dad, and my dad was around his coworkers. Um, And my dad's retired now. He worked for the state of California for uh, more than 30 years, and so he had a lot of people working for him by the end of his career. And on top of that, he worked in law enforcement, so uh, chain of command was, was very important in his line of work. And I remember being with my dad and being with him when he interacted with, with some of those employees that worked for him, and I just remember being very, very surprised because All of those people had to treat my dad with this professional respect for his authority and his position. They had to have protocols in place for how they interacted, and and they had a merely professional relationship. But me, I I only knew him as dad. I, I shot him with Nerf darts all day, and I watched football games with him, and I could just talk to him whenever I wanted. And it's not that he didn't have any authority over me like he did with these employees, but, but the, the nature of the relationship was different. He was just those employees' bosses, but he was my father. So yes, he had authority over me, but he also loved me, and he cared for me, and, and he enjoyed life with me. I didn't have to schedule a, a time to talk with him or meet with him. I just did. I just talked with him Because he was my father. I had unrestricted, unlimited access to to interact with my father, unlike his employees. And that's the picture when scripture calls you a child of the sovereign God of the universe. He has an authority over you, but one that is loving and caring and protective and, and even sometimes disciplinary, like a father loves his children. That is the benefit of not just being acquitted by God, not just being reconciled to God, but being adopted by God. You see, it takes a judge to acquit, but it takes a father to adopt. And that is what we have in the gospel. 
a father who loves and cares for us. How does this happen? How are we adopted? Again, union with Christ. Listen just to Galatians 3.26. For in Christ Jesus, there's our doctrine of union again, you are all sons of God through faith. It is the father who adopts you into his family, but it hinges on your oneness with the true only begotten son, Jesus Christ. Again, do you see how inextricably linked the, the benefits of the gospel are to the person of Jesus? For all three of these benefits that we've talked about, your justification, your reconciliation, your adoption, they affect your very identity, and they all find their source in the identity of Jesus. You can trace each one of these benefits like, like a spoke to the center of the wheel and arrive back to your union with Christ. Your union with Jesus enables your justification. It enables your reconciliation. It enables your adoption because they all happen on the basis of Jesus' life and not your own. And so as you remember these benefits, you should rejoice. You should celebrate and be filled with gratitude for such lavish blessings, but don't stop there. Don't stop with, with celebrating those things for those things. Use those benefits as a strategy to remember the person of Jesus Christ and worship him as Lord and as Savior. Remember these blessings for their ultimate purpose to the praise of the glorious grace of Jesus. If those benefits had to do with your identity, then the next two have to do with your activity. Uh, if the last three had to do with who you are, then these next two have to do with what you do. And, and like the last three, these benefits to your activity will be opportunities for you to place your mind's attention on Jesus. It's going to be an opportunity for you to to keep Christ at the forefront of your heart. Okay, strategy number four. Strategy number four to remember Jesus, remember your revelation. Remember your revelation. Turn in your Bibles to 1 Corinthians 1. 1 Corinthians 1. Uh, when I say the word revelation, I'm referring to the idea of understanding. Okay, if something is revealed to you, you understand it. And you comprehend it. it. It becomes known to you. You can think of what it's like when you open your eyes after closing them, right? Everything around you, uh, you start to perceive it. You, you understand what's there. It becomes clear to you. That's what I mean by revelation. And for the Christian, the benefit of revelation is the benefit of having your eyes opened to the reality of who God is. Revelation is, is, is the benefit of having your eyes opened to who God is. It's the privilege of, of truly grasping the reality of God's character and the reality of God's work in this world as it's revealed in his word. And, and it's a very unique blessing because scripture says that most of the world is blind. The Bible says that most of the world can't see God for who God is. Most of the world can't see that God would come to earth as his own creation to save them. And ultimately, most of the world can't believe 
that God would die on a cross for those who hated him. You see, God has fully and finally revealed himself in the face of Jesus. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. You can jot those down. John 1, Colossians 1, and Hebrews 1. Those are the key texts that teach the theology of who Jesus is. If you want to know Jesus, you read those chapters in your Bible. John 1 says Jesus has made God known. Colossians 1 says that Jesus is the image, the the representation of the invisible God. And Hebrews 1 says that God has spoken fully and finally through his son Jesus Christ and that Jesus is the, the radiance of his glory and the exact imprint of his nature. And so if Jesus is God, then God lived and breathed as a human being. And if Jesus is God, then then God shared meals with sinners and outcasts and criminals. And if Jesus is God, then God himself laid down his life on a cross for those who hated him. And to the wisdom of this world, that is utter foolishness. 1 Corinthians 1 verse 18. For the word of the cross is folly to those who are perishing. But to us who are being saved, it is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and the discernment of the discerning I will thwart. If you believe in the gospel, God has given you eyes to see and ears to hear what the rest of the world finds to be folly or foolishness. It can even be translated stupidity. We need to remember that the revelation we've been given is just that, something given to us. We didn't earn it. We didn't get there on our own. God revealed it to us, and unless he does that, we would not believe. GOC, don't take it for granted that Jesus is God is just the fundamentals to you. Don't take it for granted that Jesus rose from the dead is basic Christianity for you. Because you didn't come to that conclusion on your own. It wasn't your own intellect or your own insights that that brought you to an arrival of that truth. God gave you eyes to see. God gave you ears to hear. And if he didn't, you would be among those who find the word of the cross to be folly. And you would be among those who are perishing. Now why do I say that this has to do with your activity and not your identity? Well, it certainly has to do with your identity, don't get me wrong. When you know God truly through the gospel, your identity is changed in an instant. But I want to emphasize an aspect of this benefit of revelation that is ongoing in the Christian's life. I want to emphasize that there's a benefit to revelation that doesn't stop at the moment of salvation, but follows you for your whole life. Look down just a few verses in 1 Corinthians to chapter 2, verse 14. 1 Corinthians 2, verse 14. Paul says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him. And he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. But here's the contrast, verse 15. 
the spiritual person judges all things, but is himself to be judged by no one. For who has understood the mind of the Lord so as to instruct him? But, listen to this, we have the mind of Christ. God revealing truth to you does not stop at the moment of salvation. For the Christian, uh, you live an ongoing life of God revealing truth to you. You live an ongoing life day by day of God enabling you to judge and discern and distinguish between truth and error, between good and bad, between what is God honoring and between what is God dishonoring. How is that possible? How are we enabled to do that? Verse 19, we have the mind of Christ. That is a staggering reality. And again, it is only possible because of our union with Christ. Because in that union, we are given his mind and we are able to understand and comprehend the spiritual realities of this world that everybody else is blind to. We're able to understand the spiritual realities not just for salvation, but for a whole lifetime of doing what is good and pleasing to God. For a whole lifetime of of choosing what has eternal value. You see, by giving us the mind of Christ, God gives us all the knowledge and all the understanding and all the wisdom that we could ever need to live a life aligned with God's will. That's what Peter means in 2 Peter 1 when he says that God has granted to us all things pertaining to life and godliness through the knowledge of him. Everything you could ever need, not just for salvation, but for life after salvation, is revealed to you in Christ. And so as you consider what you have come to know about the gospel, and as you consider even what you have come to know about wise and godly living, remember that it is all a gift that is given to you through Jesus. And it's not a result of your own spiritual insight. It's not a result of your own intellect, your own ability to understand. It is all of the grace of God so that no one may boast. Understanding that revelation is a gift from God crushes any theological pride you might have. Uh, understanding that that you only know what you know because God has revealed the person of Jesus to you crushes any self-righteousness. It crushes any and all arrogance in what you've learned and in what you're learning, and it only leaves room for you to thank and to praise God for his grace. Strategy number five. It's similar to this last one, but it's distinct at the same time. Strategy number five, to remember Jesus, is to remember your fruitfulness. Remember your fruitfulness. Another lavish blessing that we find in Christ is the ability to live a fruitful life. You see, not only do you understand in your mind the the spiritual things of God, but you are actually able to, to practice them, and you're able to live them out in such a way that advances the kingdom of God that brings glory and honor to God. That's what a a spiritually fruitful life is. And again, it's only possible in Christ. As I thought about this one, 
uh, I was reminded that Jesus is the greatest preacher of all time. Uh, Jesus masterfully illustrates this profound idea of fruitfulness and its connection to union with him. And he does it in such clear and simple terms. You don't have to turn there, but listen to the words of Jesus in John 15. John 15 verse 4, it says, Abide in me and I in you. As the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine, neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. Jesus says you can't do anything apart from him And the illustration is genius, right? He is the vine and we are the branches, which means we are unified. We are the same plant, so to speak. And and so we are one as this plant, and that's our doctrine of unity. And yet at the same time, it's we the branches who are dependent on him, the vine. We are one, but we are dependent on him. If we are separated We are the ones who die, not him. If we are disconnected, we are the ones who aren't bearing fruit. Yes, we are one, but we are the ones who are dependent on Jesus and not the other way around. And so your fruitfulness as a Christian, your your personal holiness, your effectiveness in evangelism, your, your ability to encourage a brother and a sister in church, that is all a gift from God given to you through your oneness with Christ. And so anytime you have a victory over sin, Christ deserves your worship. Anytime God uses you to spread the gospel to a lost person, Christ deserves your worship. Anytime a brother or a sister in the church is at all helped by you, it is Christ who deserves the worship. Because apart from Christ, you can do nothing. I'm even reminded of the Great Commission at the end of of Matthew 28. You know it, right? Great Commission, Jesus gives his marching orders. He tells his disciples uh, their part in in advancing the kingdom and in bringing glory to, to the name of God. And he says, go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them and teaching them. And then the very last words of Matthew 28 are what? Behold, I am with you, even to the end of the age. Only if that is true, only if Jesus is with you, can you fulfill the Great Commission. Only if Jesus is with you, can you do anything. You see, not only is it your identity that is lavished with the benefits of the gospel in that moment, in that instant of salvation. It is also every single moment of your life that follows. You are blessed in your whole life through the gospel because of your oneness with Christ. It is Christ living in you, and through that beautiful union, what is his becomes yours. What is Jesus's becomes yours, and so you're given the mind of Christ to understand the world, 
through its spiritual realities. And, and as you understand the, the, the world through those spiritual realities, you are given the opportunity to live a life and express a life that is fruitful. That's the logic of Paul in Romans 12, 1 through 2. You probably know that verse as well, right? He says, by the renewing of your mind, your bodies can become living sacrifices of worship to God. Both of these things happened, a, a renewed mind and a fruitful life because you abide in Christ. Do you see, uh, again, how, how these benefits are spokes on that wheel? Just being traced back to that central truth of, of the person of Jesus. Do you see how, how remembrance of these benefits are really opportunities for you to remember Jesus himself? For you to remember the person of Christ. Christ is the only one worthy of your remembrance every single day of your life. And so we ought to use all of these spiritual blessings. All of these opportunities for their ultimate purpose. Of reminding us of the person of Jesus. And helping us to praise him. Well, we have two more points. And they have the same heart of of pointing our hearts and our minds back to Jesus. And they do so by helping us think rightly of our eternity. They help us think rightly of our eternity, and through that they remind us of Jesus. We've seen how our identity and our activity remind us of Jesus in Christ, and now we're going to see how that works with our eternity. Strategy number six to remember Jesus is to remember your resurrection. Remember your resurrection. Listen to Romans 5 5. For if we have been united with him in a death like his, we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. And then verse 9 says, We know that Christ, being raised from the dead, will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. GOC, when you consider your future, do you consider that you will be resurrected even as Jesus Christ was? Paul says that we will share a resurrection like his, and he explains that a resurrection like his is one that is final. Verse 9 of Romans 5 says that Jesus will never die again. Death no longer has dominion over him. That sureness, that finality of resurrection is in your future as a Christian. Why? Because you are one with Jesus. If you died with him, you will also live with him, Paul says. And so if you've taken up your cross to follow Jesus, be assured that you're not just following him to die, but you are following him to be raised to eternal life. Philippians 3, you know this passage, we've been studying it in, in Broad. From heaven we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform your lowly body to be like his glorious body. GOC, your future is a resurrection like Jesus. And our last strategy is very closely related, so we're going to jump straight into it. Strategy number seven, to remember Jesus, our last one this morning, is to remember your security. Remember your security. 
David also covered this idea in his sermon when he talked about how you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. And I want to give you just another sort of angle at this doctrine that has really been a help to my soul, and specifically as it relates to Jesus. Let me explain it this way. Uh, I've never gone skydiving. I've never done it, never in my life, but if I ever did, I would want to go with someone who's done it before, (laughs) right? I mean, imagine that you are strapped to the back of some skydiving instructor, and he opens the, the plane door, and you feel the gust of air coming in, and then you look down and you see 30,000 feet of elevation between you and the ground. And then this skydiving instructor kind of turns around over his shoulder, looks back at you and says, hey man, like I see, it looks like you're pretty nervous, like is, is this your first time doing this thing? And, and then you respond to him like, yeah man, this is my first time, I'm, I'm a little excited, but mostly horrified. And then imagine if he just said, same. (laughs) I don't know about you, but if I'm in that situation, my confidence is at an all-time low, right? I have zero trust in this guy because he's about to jump out of a plane and he's never done it before. I have zero confidence in him because he is about to take me somewhere that he has never been himself. You see, when we think about our assurance... When we think about the eternal security of our souls, we have a Savior who has been where he promised to take us. Like we just saw with the resurrection, Jesus passed through death into life already. Jesus is already in heaven at the right hand of God in a glorified body. And so when he tells us those things will be true for us, we can trust him. This is not an unreasonable hope, GOC. (laughs) Hoping and trusting in that skydiving instructor would be unreasonable. But our hope is rooted in a God who has already conquered death. Our hope is rooted in a God who can taunt death and say, Oh, death, where is your sting? Where is your victory? Because he has already defeated it. Sinclair Ferguson, again, says that the the seed of assurance is in the act of faith. The seed of assurance is in the act of faith. Here's what that means. That means that your belief in the resurrection of Jesus and the belief in in the eternal life of Jesus is the starting point of your belief in your own eternal life, in your own resurrection. My heart is heavy for those of you who are struggling with assurance because it is such a wicked lie of the devil to tell you that you can't have hope. Listen to me. As, as, as sure you are of the resurrection of Jesus, that's how sure you can be of your own resurrection. As sure as you are of the eternal life of Jesus, that he is in heaven right now at the right hand of God, that is how sure you can be that you will be in heaven with him. Assurance comes down to what you believe in Jesus. If you trust that that Jesus gave his life on behalf of sinners like, like you and I, and if you believe that he rose from the dead 
proving that his sacrifice on our behalf was effective, then as sure as you are of Christ's eternal life, you can be sure of your eternal life. And again, it's, it's not because of anything you've done. It's not because of a, of a, of a spiritual reality that you've come to, to, to know and, and to discern you for yourself. It is because Christ lives in you. You're crucified with Christ. It's no longer you who live, but it's Christ who lives in you. If you are a Christian at all, the seed of assurance is in your heart, waiting to blossom and grow as your very faith grows. Your union with Jesus, listen to this, your union with Jesus began in eternity past, and it will continue into eternity future. Ephesians 1 says that you were chosen in him before the foundation of the world. And then Romans 8, what can separate us from the love of God? Nothing. Who can separate us from the love of God? In Christ Jesus our Lord. From eternity past to eternity future, your soul is secure because your soul is one with Jesus. We sang about that this morning, didn't we? One with himself, I cannot die. My soul is purchased by his blood. My life is hid with Christ on high, with Christ my Savior and my God. This doctrine of the believer's union with Christ bookends the expanse of eternity. You will always be one with Jesus, and that should give you the utmost confidence in eternity. What an appropriate use of of our years here on this earth if we considered that we will be one with Jesus forever. So let's start living like we're one with Jesus now. GOC, the, the benefits that we have in the gospel need to be strategies for you to remember the one by whom all these benefits came. Yes, obey the call to reflect on and remember every spiritual blessing that you can think of, but take it one step further and remember that apart from Christ, you have nothing. Remember that there is no benefit to be had at all if you don't have Jesus. This is on my heart for you this morning because it is so easy for us to chase after just the benefits of the gospel. It's so easy for us to chase after the peace of not going to hell. It's so easy for us to chase after the the feeling of being useful at church or to chase after the, the feeling of having a clear conscience. And all of those things are good things, and I, and I wish and, and I hope that you obtain them in your life. But if you are not pursuing Jesus, those things are idolatry. If you're not pursuing Jesus, you will never have those things, and those things will become an idols to you. You'll chase them, and you'll, you'll fall into legalism. Or you'll chase them, and you'll fall into apathy. Or you'll fall into bitterness. But Jesus says if you seek him, GOC, you'll find him. And if you have Jesus, if you are one with him, then what he has becomes yours. All of these benefits from eternity past to eternity future, they will all be yours, but not just for you, to the praise of the grace of the one who gave you them. To close, 
Uh, I want to tell you a story about a woman named Helen Lemmel. Helen Lemmel was born in 1864, and by the time she was a teenager, her uh, musical talent was widely recognized. And so later in her life, by the 1900s, she moved to Germany, and she began this really intensive four-year training program in music, and while she was there, she met the love of her life. The two of them got married in 1911, and then they moved back to the U.S. And tragically, soon after they returned to the States, Helen Lemmel contracted a rare illness that caused her to rapidly lose her eyesight. In a matter of months, she became blind. And if that wasn't sad enough, her husband found it too tiresome too difficult to care for a blind woman, and so he abandoned her. And at this lowest, most tragic, most sad point in her life, having lost her husband and having lost her eyesight, she wrote these words. Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face. And the things of earth will go strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. Though the vision of her eyes was taken from her, the vision of her soul saw more clearly than ever the beauty of Jesus. And it made everything else fade to the background. And GOC, whether... It is a dark trial like this woman's or whether it is countless, boundless benefits in the gospel like we've seen this weekend, it all serves to magnify the person of Jesus. Every spiritual blessing is found in Jesus Christ alone and so every spiritual blessing must be to his glory. It must be to his praise alone. GOC, will you Remember the benefits of the gospel, and in doing so, remember your Savior and worship him as he deserves. Let's pray. Father, we ask that you would open up our soul's vision to Jesus. God, if you were to take away the the vision of our eyes. Would you help us to be content and help us to rejoice with a joy that is inexpressible because though we don't see you, we believe in you. And though we don't see you now, we love you. God, would you help our soul's vision to be captured by Jesus and in all the benefits we have in the gospel, in all these good and beautiful things of being at peace with you, of being adopted into your family, of having a hope for eternity, would you help us to take it one step further and remember our Savior? Help us to take it one step further and cast our minds and our hearts to the person of Jesus. And would he be glorified and honored in our every moment of our life? Father, we love you and we pray that you would help us to love you more. In Jesus' name we pray.